This gives us knowledge of how we too can also deal with external conflict. The gospel gives us the power to do just that because Christ has already conquered our sins so that we don't have to fear that, that God will not love and accept us into his kingdom. We received from Christ his righteousness as if we never sinned against the holy God. And God accepts us as his own perfect sons and daughters. Isn't that a beautiful thing? It's an amazing thing. It's, it's, almost, it's almost unbelievable. But yet it's true. God's word says that. Because of what Christ did on the cross, we don't have to fear what man, what man may say or think of us. We are made righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ, and that's all that matters. And with this knowledge, we can continue to do the work that glorifies God. The work that Jesus set us to do, to go and make disciples. He said it in Matthew 28, 19, 19 and 20. He said this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Oh, doesn't that make things so much easier to know that Jesus will be with us always? He commanded us to go and make disciples. He, he gave us and he gave us the assurance that he will be with us always to do our work. It is why he attached these two together. He said, go and make disciples. I will be with you always. Those are two in the same, one sentence after the other. He says, go and make disciples. I will be with you. He knew it was going to be difficult. But the work was important. And he gives us the assurance that he will be with us to help us do the work. Now, the title for my message this morning is Don't Let Fear of Man Stop Your Work to Glorify God. Don't let the fear of man stop your work to glorify God. We have the assurance of the gospel, and because Jesus has said he will be with us always so that we can continue the work to glorify God. Our text this morning supports that, and I hope, I hope to show that using these three main points. First, Nehemiah knew his enemy. He knew his enemy. Nehemiah didn't entertain the fear of man because he feared God. And number three, the gospel gives us the power to overcome the fear of man and glorify God. So let's begin with point number one. Nehemiah knew his enemy. So in, in verse one, we see that Nehemiah knew who his enemies were. He, he groups Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem with, quote, the rest of our enemies, end quote. And because of this grouping, he was able to quickly discern the intentions of his enemies whenever they communicated with him. He was aware. Do you know your enemies? Do you know that Satan is an enemy of yours? 
that he prowls around like a lion seeking to devour you? It says that in 1 Peter 8, or 1 Peter 5, 8 through 10. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And here is the, the, the prize if we resist. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and, and establish you. The God of all grace. The one who's called you in Christ is going to restore us, make us whole again, confirm us saying, yes, you are my son. Yes, you are my daughter. Strengthen, strengthen up. I don't know, maybe he wants for us to be building cities of gold in heaven. I don't know what the strengthening is for. And establishing you, yes, he says, you have a, you have a room in my house and you have a seat at my table. Praise God. We live in a fallen world. And we will suffer. But let us not put ourselves in a position where we will be subject to sin and even more suffering. So for example, if some, of, if some so-called friends or co-workers ask you to go out drinking with them and maybe go to a strip club, do, do you think that would be an environment where you can maintain a, a level of purity and not sin? <laughs> Probably not. Remember the prize that we resist, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. See, Nehemiah knew his enemies and was quickly able to discern what they meant, that they meant to do him harm. Know your enemies. Know your enemies. So Sanballat and Geshem sent to him a request to meet with them at um, Hecapharim, which was about a day's ride from Jerusalem. But Nehemiah discerned that they intended to do him harm, so he responded by saying, I'm doing a great work. Now, this, this work that he was doing was, in fact, great because it, God was telling him to build a wall around uh, the temple that they, had, that they had also built for his good and for his glory. So this was a great work. We also are doing a great work by going out and making disciples of all nations. He says, I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Now, he's, he's speaking as, of, as if he's speaking to somebody who's a friend. Not, not speaking to somebody as an enemy. He's speaking to them. He's saying, he's saying hey, I know you, should, you would agree with me. I'm doing a great work. Why should I stop that work? Why should I come down and, uh, and leave it and then and come down to you and... 
You know, that's, that's like saying, hey, I'm not, I know you're going to agree with me. I'm doing great work here. You're going to say, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, you don't need to come down. But they persisted. They pr- persistent, persisted and sent word to him four more times. And each time, Nehemiah answered the same way. The same way. Why, I'm doing a good work here. I shouldn't come down. And Sanballat saw that this wasn't working. So he changed things up a bit to perhaps cause more fear in Nehemiah so that he would stop the work. I want to read verses 5 through 7 again. Verse 5. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. Ah! Now here's something different. He's sending an open letter. Before, the letter was closed, so only Nehemiah was able to read what Sanballat was sending him. It was telling him or asking, requesting that he come and visit with them. Now he's up the ante, so to speak. The letter is open. Other people can see what Sanballat is writing to Nehemiah about. And who can see this? Well, the Jews that are on the way, perhaps. Maybe even one Jew sees it, reads that letter and says, oh my goodness. And he tells two people. And they say, oh my goodness. And they tell ten people. And before you know it, all of, of the area of Jerusalem knows about this letter. And they're, they're saying, oh my goodness, this is, this is really bad stuff. Because look, look what's in this letter. It says this. In it was written, it is reported among the nations. Okay, now, it is reported. So again, here is Sanballat trying to remain a friend of Nehemiah. So he's not saying, hey, uh, I heard these reports or I think about these reports. No, he's saying, it has been reported. Other people are saying this about you. I want to help. And he goes on, he says, and, and Geshem also says it. Geshem. As if Geshem is some, um, some authority on Nehemiah and, and what the Jews are doing in Jerusalem. But he's not saying it for Nehemiah. He's saying it for anybody who reads this open letter and says, oh my goodness, look at all these, even Geshem knows about this and is saying the same things. And Geshem also says it that you and the Jews that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine the Jews reading that and thinking, oh my Is this what Nehemiah thinks? Is this what he's intending to do? He goes on to say, And you have also set up prophets to proclaim proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this specific text, I'm going to come back to later. Because in the next section, this becomes a possibility. 
a true and real possibility. So let's, let's continue. And now the king will hear of these reports. Now, that's got to make the Jews concerned and worried. Yes, absolutely. If the king hears about this, what's going to happen? He's going he's to stop all of this. He's going to say, no, you, you're not, you're not going to continue and you're not going to rebel against me. He's going he's to stop it. So, so he goes on and he says, so, so now come. Let us take counsel together. Again, he's still saying, I'm your friend. I want to help you. All these reports. Geshem says it too. Come, let's take counsel together. But Nehemiah didn't buy it. He didn't buy it. In fact, he, he told them, no such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. He's literally telling them that they're making these things up and he doesn't believe them. And he says nothing more about it. It's a simple message because it wasn't true. And he didn't need to, to spend a whole lot of time and energy trying to refute each item. Instead, he prayed to God, strengthen my hands. It says in verse, verse 9, for they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen me. Strengthen my hands. That's his prayer. Strengthen my hands. How many times do we hear a bad report about us? Something that isn't true. Or maybe, maybe it is true. Fear of man kicks in, and we spend a lot of time trying to correct the rumors and wind up getting distracted from doing the work. Maybe the rumors are true, and we go around telling people, well, yeah, yeah, but, you know, I've changed. I'm, I did sin. But you're still wasting time going around trying to convince people that you're a good person because you don't want your reputation to be hurt you're not doing the work. The fear of man is a powerful thing. Usually it arises because something is said that threatens our reputation. Somebody says something and we think, oh, what will everybody think of me? Does that go through your head? It goes through my head. The fear of man paralyzes us from doing anything except trying to fix what was said about us. Even if what is said is true, what does it matter? Does it threaten our status with God? If we are already made righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ, if we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, who has given us his righteousness, by, by dying on the cross in our place for our sins, then what does it matter what others think of us? What people think of us doesn't destroy the gospel. In fact, if people are talking about our sinful life and see us trying to turn, see us, they're, they're seeing us repent from those sins, then it should make the power of the gospel even more amazing. 
And if they're not a believer, if they haven't accepted Christ as their Savior, and they say, well, if he can be saved by accepting Christ with the sin that he did, then maybe the same can happen for me. That's a testimony. Let them talk about us. But also let them see how the gospel has changed our life. Amen? Let, this, let them see us walking in a manner worthy of salvation. Yes, we're going to continue sinning, but let, this, let them see us repent from that sin. Let, let them see us turn from that sin. Let them see us call out that sin and say, yes, I sinned. I asked for forgiveness. God forgave me. Now, we go back and continue doing the work that glorifies God. We've seen how Nehemiah didn't allow the man, the fear of man to stop his work. Now let's see some more of that in the next section because it's going to get a little bit ramped up here. So in verse 10, so, so that, yeah, this is point number two. So we got point number two up, yes. Nehemiah didn't entertain the fear of man because he feared God. He didn't entertain the fear of man because he feared God. So in verse 10, we learn that Nehemiah went to visit Shemaiah, who was confined to his home. And Shemaiah said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. Now remember in verse 7, we read in the open letter sent to Nehemiah, and you have also said, if you have also set up prophets to proclaim you concerning in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. Okay, so this would have been a perfect time for the prophet Shemaiah to close the doors of the temple with Nehemiah inside and proclaim to the people that there is a king in Judah. Thus, putting Nehemiah in a bad light and fulfilling what Sanballat had said in his open letter. Those that had read the letter, they're going to look at that and they're going to say, ah, so this is true. If this is true, then all of the rest of his... What he says must be true. Sambalat was only trying to be a friend of Nehemiah and prevent him from doing bad things. That's obvious in the letter. He's just reporting this stuff. He said, come, let us, let us meet together. Let us have counsel together. But Nehemiah says, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. This is where we see that Nehemiah's healthy fear of God did not allow him to sin against God. He feared God more than he feared man. Should such a man as I run away? He was saying, 
that his trust in the sovereignty of God protected him from anything that his enemies could say about him. When we, when we hear a report, a bad report about us, and the fear of man kicks in, what does it do? It paralyzes us. It stops us from doing the work because we want to we wanna fix that. We want to tell the people, no, I'm not, I'm not that bad. I'm a good person. What does it matter? I'm secured in salvation through Jesus Christ, through the blood of Jesus Christ, through his righteousness, which was given to me. And when he said, and what man such as I could go into the temple and live, he was acknowledging that because he was not a priest, which were the only ones allowed into the temple, that he feared what God would do to him. So, again, a healthy fear of the Lord prevented him from sinning against God. But how, how did he know these things? How did he know these things? Well, he knew the word of God. He knew the word of God. This is what helps us to have a healthy fear of the Lord, by knowing God's word. And to know God's word, you have to pick up this Bible, and you have to read for yourself. Yes, it's good to come Sunday morning and to hear God's word preached. That's important. But it's also important that you yourself open this up on a daily basis and read what does God have for you out of his word. You need to know his word so that you can act this way against your enemies, so that you can know that's correct, that's not correct, I can't do that because that will cause me to sin. By knowing God's word, it also helps us to understand the meaning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which helps us to understand why we no longer need to have a fear of man. Amen? 1 Peter 1, 3-4 says this. I love this verse. It's one of my favorites. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. If we have this assurance, what does it matter what others think and say about us? We can continue to do the work to glorify God. Now, continuing verse, verses 12 and 13, we see that Nehemiah had discerned that God had not sent Shemamiah, um, but that he had pronounced the prophecy against him because Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him so that he should be afraid and act in a particular way in sin, so that they could give him a bad name. This is why he was able to discern. He knew his enemy. Now I'm going to skip verse 14, but I'll come back to it in a minute. So in verse 15, beginning 15, it says, so, so Nehemiah continues and tells us that the wall is finished, right? On the 25th day of the month, Elum, it only took 52 days. And when all their enemies heard of it, they were all afraid and felt greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of their God. 
But the threats didn't end there. We continue in verse 17. He says that the nobles of, of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, who was an enemy of the Jews. And Tobiah sent letters to them. But because Tobiah was a son-in-law of Shechaniah, they took sides with Tobiah, who was not a Jew. See, this goes back to the sin of marriage to people outside of the faith, which many of the nobles did. And Tobiah sent letters to make Nehemiah afraid. So even after the wall had been finished, with the gates and the doors installed, the threats kept coming. Now let me go back to verse 14, which I skipped before. Verse 14 is a prayer inserted between acknowledging that um, Shemaiah was a hired hand and giving the good news about the finished wall. Okay, It's a prayer inserted between between it. The prayer says this. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat. Oh my God. According to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who want, wanted to make me afraid. That's his prayer. <coughs> Just remember them. This prayer shows Nehemiah's healthy fear of God. Because he was acknowledging that he did not want to judge their actions on his own. But he wanted God to remember them in their deeds. Who knows? Perhaps, perhaps God may have changed their minds and their hearts and allowed them to come to Nehemiah and say, you know what? We sinned against you, brother, and we were asked for forgiveness for their actions. But Nehemiah wasn't going to take matters into his own hand and draw retribution against his enemies because he feared what God would do to him. A healthy fear of God helps us to overcome a fear of man. This is the lesson we should all take to heart. Pray for our enemies. Matthew 5, 44 and 45 say this. This this is Jesus speaking. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. It seems odd, but it's good advice. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Don't take matters in your own hands. So we've seen that Nehemiah's healthy fear of God allows him to overcome a fear of man. But for us, that's not the only thing that allows us to overcome the fear of man. The gospel is an important concept that allows us to overcome the fear of man, which brings me to my last point. Point number three, the gospel gives us the power to overcome the fear of man and continue the work to glorify God. Now, before I go on, let me, let me read Matthew 28 again. I read this in, in my introduction. It tells us what the work is that we are commanded to do. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
So the gospel gives us the power to overcome the fear of man and continue to do the work that glorifies God. But first, what is the gospel? Now, I know many of you know what the gospel is, but there may be people that are listening to this message, maybe for the first time they're not Christians. Maybe they don't know what the gospel is. Maybe they are new Christians and they still don't know what the gospel is. I mean, they, they should. But maybe they don't know fully. So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say these words for their benefit. And maybe for your benefit too. I don't know. So this is what the gospel is. Through Adam and Eve, we have sinned against a holy God. We inherited the sin of Adam and Eve. But we've also sinned ourselves. No matter how good we think we are, at some point in our lives, we've sinned against God. Sin is a natural part of us. We are bound and shackled to it, and we are unable to free ourselves from it. We are unable to do good, the good that was required, the perfect good that is required for a holy God to accept us. So we've been separated from God. But God had a plan to save his chosen people. And he required sending his son to sacrifice his life for those who are in sin. It couldn't couldn't be just any sacrifice. It had to be a holy and perfect sacrifice. It had to be a sacrifice by someone who was sinless, who didn't deserve what we as sinners deserved. So Jesus left his father's side and came to earth to be born as a human. He was both fully God and fully man. He needed to be fully man so that he could experience what we experience in a fallen world. All the trials and temptations to sin, but without sin. But in order to be a complete and adequate sacrifice, to successfully take on the sins of the world and offer himself up as a full ransom for sin, he needed to not sin. He needed to be perfect, a perfect spotless lamb, which he did. To our great glory, he did. At the right time, he began, he began his ministry by telling people of himself and of the kingdom to come. He believed, but most did not want to believe. I mean, some people believed, but most did not want to believe, and they condemned him and began telling lies about him. Even the scribes and Pharisees, who should have known God's word, were against him, and they called for his death. So he was put to death on a cross to fulfill the scriptures. He took on the sins of the world and became the perfect sacrifice for man. His sacrifice paid the ransom in full, and God accepted his sacrifice. Now the righteousness of Christ is passed on to those who believe in him and confess him as their savior. This is called the atonement. Transferring his righteousness to us so that we may be saved and reconciled reconciled to our heavenly father. God accepts this and justifies us as sinless. Thus reconciling us to him. Jesus died on the cross and after three days was raised, conquering death once and for all and is seated at the right hand of the Father, forever reigning with the Father. And for those who have been saved, who have confessed Jesus as their Savior, for those who have received salvation through Jesus Christ, 
we have an inheritance waiting for us in heaven. A place where there is no sin, where there will be no more tears, no sickness and no pain. A place where we enjoy worshiping our God and King forever and ever. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, having said what the gospel is, it should be easy to see why the gospel gives us the power to overcome the fear of man and continue to do the work to glorify God. I said earlier that the fear of man paralyzes us from doing anything except trying to fix what was said about us. This, the gospel, prevents us from continuing, I mean, the, the paralyzing part prevents us from continuing to do the work that glorifies God. But if we know that the gospel frees us from the bondage to sin, if we know that this gives us salvation, thus making us reconciled to our Heavenly Father and securing for us a place in heaven, then what does it matter what others think of us now? What does it matter? It shouldn't matter at all. We are told that we will still suffer since we live in a fallen world, there will be suffering, but it is a momentary affliction. Another one of my favorite, favorite verses in Second Colossians 4.17 says this, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Yes, I will suffer for a little while. Momentary affliction, yes. Preparing me for a weight beyond comparison. A weight of eternal glory beyond all comparison. Now, the fear of man is not the only thing we will suffer in this fallen world. There will be sickness and heartache. We'll see loved ones in pain or even die. This will cause us sorrow and grieve their loss, especially if they had not accepted Christ. We will, we will be aware of people in our lives who don't accept Christ as their Savior, and that will be very painful as we want for all to know what we know about the glory of Christ, uh, the glory of the cross. Some will be coworkers, some will be people we just met. Some will be family members. It will be hard. But the power of the gospel helps us to overcome all of this and gives us the ability to continue the work to glorify God. Remember, we're not alone. Jesus said he will be with us to the end of the age. So have faith. Don't allow the fear of man to paralyze you from doing the work the good work of glorifying God. Follow Nehemiah's example and pray for God to strengthen your hands. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word in Nehemiah that helps us to understand how we can continue in life the fallen world that we live in, Father, and, and, and not be bothered and burdened by what people even say about us. Well, let us continue the work, Father God, to glorify you. 
through the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of what Jesus has said that he will be with us always, the power of knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it has done for us, reconciling us to you, Heavenly Father, freeing us from the bondage of sin. Strengthen our hands, Lord, that we may do the work to glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand and sing in response.